Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. And I'm Ann Bonney, redhead impersonator and an expert in change management and leadership that people want to follow. Okay, Ann. What are we going to talk about today? Well, Dave, I just uh, kind of went up Kilimanjaro to check out what 19,341 feet feels like. You want to talk about that and some of the lessons I learned? Wow. Enough about me. What about me? Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, really. I just like to talk about me and what I did. <laughs> you know. Wait a minute. Thought... Wasn't that your idea? <laughs> Shh. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> I just set you up so beautifully, didn't I? I mean, that is just... <laughs> so folks, in the persuasion arena, this is what not to do if you want people to respect you in the future. Don't set them up for failure like I just did, Anne. Wonderful <laughs> morality play. Here comes the bus. Bam, right. You know, just, just step off the curb. It's just fine. Hip check. So yeah, but so first of all, Congratulations on summiting the highest peak in Africa. Was it 19,000? It's it's like a marathon. I don't want to just say 26 miles because that half mile is the worst that last year, right? The 341 feet at the end right, is a right. doozy. Yeah. Right. So, so 19,000 what? 19,341. And uh, how long did you stay there? About 20 minutes. Wow, which There's not actually, a whole lot of oxygen up there. So the guides want to get you out of there pretty quickly so you can not be an idiot. Yeah, it, which is funny if you think about it, because base camp for um, uh, uh, Everest is like 21,000 roughly. Oh, totally. And that's why I chose Killy over uh, Everest, because uh, Everest requires a lot more um, technical knowledge and danger. Kilimanjaro is just a hard hike, honestly. I mean, it it's hard, but it's it doesn't require any oxygen or you know particular danger to your livelihood and your yeah. Life. And actually, I have a friend of mine who just summited Everest after she's the first uh, Iranian to summit Everest. And wow, right? Which and, and she fourth fourth attempt. And she's the one, by the way, who said, oh, Killy, you'll find people in pajamas walking up in their shoes, just strolling. That's That was her take on Keeley. Which for somebody who goes up Everest, it totally would be. <laughs> so, so, but some good leadership lessons there. And there has to be, right? There has to be some really big personal growth to, 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 to hit. I mean, we're making light of it, but I haven't done it. And nor is it in my bucket list. Um, it may fall You've in got pajamas. You could totally do it, Dave. And slippers. Pajamas and flip-flops, go ahead. Um, yeah, no, there were there was a lot of growth. And it's interesting. It was fun to not only experience it myself, but I went with two of my good friends who are also entrepreneurs. And so as we were processing the whole experience and having our own challenges and trying to help each other through the experience, um, there a lot of lessons did come through. So if you had to pick one, I'm going to limit you to one. You heard me, Fair. one. Fair. One. One. Got it. Yes. Right. Uh, Curly from uh, from uh, um, City Slickers. Whoop, 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 whoop. No, wrong Curly. Oh. City Slickers. <laughs> wrong Curly. 
<laughs> not the three stooges which sounds like you leanne and i don't know who the third person was could have been i think it sounds like you and me actually that's what our listeners are saying i've got uh, i got two of the stooges you've got one i'm uh, <laughs> knock, 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 knock. at any rate um now that we've everybody has shut this podcast off saying they're going <laughs> to there's nothing of value here what what one is the lesson biggest one yeah most yeah. impactful um Sometimes when goals are huge, when goals are big, when when you're when you're going after your B hag, as it were, the uh, big hairy audacious goal. Most of the time in the day to day, it pays off to what I call shrink the bubble. Um, so from Kilimanjaro, the lesson was, you know, we on summit day. So we climbed, we hiked for two days, three days, excuse me, to get to Kibo hut, which is a, essentially base camp for Kilimanjaro. It's where one of the places where you will do your summit attempt from. Um, and you start at about midnight, your summit attempt, because they want you to summit around sunrise because it's really, really beautiful. And then you've also got plenty of time to get back down to 12,000 feet where you can breathe a lot better. So you start out at midnight. You've only gotten probably four or five hours of weak sleep uh, because A, you're excited and B, sleep is a little meh at altitude. So you're tired. You've been hiking for three days already. It's pitch dark. And at about two in the morning, when you look up the hill where you're heading, all you can see is a line of headlamps of all the hikers in front of you. And they seem really far away and they seem really high up in the air. And the thought of that we have to get there and beyond, because they're not at the top either, is really intimidating. And under those circumstances, it... um it's really intimidating and it can really get in your head. And when you're thinking about big, you know, finance goals at work or, you know, big goals, uh, personal goals, sometimes when we look at the end result and think, I got to get there, it can seem impossible. But when we look down and just take 10 steps or even just take one step, what's the next step I can take? And then what's the next step? And what's the next step? And thinking of it in terms of those smaller milestones versus the end result, you're much more likely to stay the course and be motivated um, than if you look up the hill and think, holy crap, I've got a lot more to go. Yeah, I mean, it's so true. And, you know, obviously, Kili is a big thing, 19,341 feet to be exact. I mean, that, that's a that's a huge 341. Did I, did I not say the one? I don't want to Yeah, No, you one. did. I was just emphasizing with my finger right because otherwise you didn't sum it if it's 340 19,340 you're like sorry didn't sum it but and for the record i did climb up onto a little rock just to make sure that i was at the highest point <laughs> i have no doubt about that right and 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 uh i mean that's a huge that's a huge undertaking but even even in smaller undertakings you know i i used to swim in high school I don't swim regularly now, but when I travel, if the hotel has a pool, I'd much rather swim a half mile than I would go in the gym, which I also don't do on a regular basis to do the dumbbells or whatever equipment they have there. I just get a better workout. And because I don't do it on a regular basis, mentally, especially day one of the trip, I'm typically like, oh, crap, this is, this is farther than I remember it. 
But when I break it up to laps, okay, one more lap, one more lap, one more lap, one more lap. Then, you know, 30 minutes go by and I'm like, oh, I did it, you know? And so this is it's really valuable. And its beauty is it works for little things like swimming a half mile, which is really nothing, or climbing 19,341 feet, which is something. So, well, yeah. And I mean, it also helps. I remember using a similar strategy during the pandemic, which, you know, was a, <laughs> had an unknown end, you know? So this works for things that are sort of hard to get through, like a PR nightmare or a, you know, sales process, trying to develop that patience with a process or a situation that doesn't necessarily have an end, just saying, okay, you know what? I don't know how this is going to, how long this is going to last. I'm kind of uncomfortable with that. What I call shrink in the bubble or just take 10 steps. What's the next thing I can do? Yeah. And you know, it's funny. Everything has an end. We know that. Right? It, 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 it's got to end eventually. That's usually what I'm saying at mile 18 of a marathon. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to end eventually. Tr- not, never eventually enough, but yes, eventually. Mm-hmm. And of course, when it comes, it's that elation is so much more, but that, that's another, uh, and something we probably want to do talk about the celebration of achieving that. But but back to your point on these seemingly endless things, and usually it's a problem like the pandemic, something goes wrong at work, you're, you're digging out from under, you have no idea when or how that end's going to come about. There are trite sayings out there that exist for a reason because, and they're trite because they're also uh, accurate and said all the time, right? And that's why they're repeated all the time. You know, when you keep, when going through hell, keep on going comes to mind. But my favorite, right? Because that that has such a negative connotation. It's like, oh, you're going through hell, right? My favorite is a little more aspirational, which is everything works out in the end. If it hasn't worked out, it's not the end. It ain't the end. Right. right. And, and and so that has always helped me get through those those challenging times. And yes, then shrinking the bubble, as you said, right? What's which is really just focusing on what you can control, which in your case was the next step. And and what's funny, because I was talking to one of your compatriots, our, our, our friend, um, and I actually I'm not going to mention her by name, only because she hasn't given me permission to share this story, even though people who know her and know us probably know who I'm talking about. Oh, well, too bad. Um Right. But she she did share in a public forum how she was mentally challenged, you know, at, at, on summit night morning, whatever you want to call it. And and she's like, now she looks back, she goes, why did I make that so much more difficult on myself? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would submit she made it so much more difficult on herself so she could learn the lesson not to make it difficult on herself. Right. In the future, she'll <laughs> right. She'll look back and go, I'm doing it again. And then she'll come up with a new mindset because i know her as you do as well she'll she'll be powerful with that experience but i think that's the other lesson here right is so much of the um expansion of the bubble right to use the opposite the expansion of the bubble is in our head mm-hmm. right? it, it's it's that three feet from gold story it's uh, well it's the woman who who swam the english channel and failed the first time when she was you know in would have been in sight of 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 uh, the, the French coastline if it wasn't for the fog. I can't remember her name, right? So it was her second attempt. She made it the first time. She couldn't see because again, it was that unknown ending. She was in the fog, mm-hmm. and she was like half mile or something from shore when she quit. And, and yeah. so you know, 
And, and it's from this opposite side. And as we're talking about leadership and persuasion, you know, I was with our friend in that moment and I was trying to coach slash persuade slash lead slash um, what's the word? Like persuade her to keep going. Motivate, and inspire. Inspire. Yeah, whatever. And in the end, I, you know, I, Gave her the 10 steps thing. And, and then I tried to, you know, inspire her in lots of different ways. And finally, as the leader, I needed to walk away from her. Um, and this was an, oh, you said one. This was a similar lesson to this 10 steps thing. She needed to decide that she was going to continue taking those 10 steps. And I couldn't persuade her. I couldn't decide for her. Nothing I said in that moment was going to be as powerful as her making that decision. And so sometimes as a leader, and this is a tough, <laughs> tough thing for us problem solvers and us type A personalities to do, is to share the information we have, share the inspiration we have, and then walk away and let them decide if they are going to follow and, and do the thing. You know, I think so often as we're talking about, you know, giving people feedback and all that stuff, we want to convince them. We want to, you know, but ultimately our job as leaders is to give them the information we have. And then they are in charge of deciding whether they're going to do it or not. And that's an important distinction to learn as a persuader. You, you know, you, you've nailed it and don't worry, I'm going to give you grace because you know, the, the reality is leadership is is one thing, and it's just a lot of different facets of the same one thing. So, you know, I'm giving you grace. I knew, I knew you weren't going to stick to one anyway. You didn't disappoint. Um, <laughs> I was like, what are you giving me grace for? Oh, yeah. I went on to number two. <laughs> right. But, you know, uh, and you and I have talked about this before in, um, in accountability conversations with people where you clearly state the consequences and then let them make the choice to change or modify their behavior or not and detach yourself from that outcome because either way, it's going to be right. And had she decided to turn around and go back down the hill, it had been the perfect decision for both of you at that time. And of course, she didn't because that's not the cut of her jib at all, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and she... She made the decision because she knew what the consequences were. And you're walking away basically said, look, it's up to you now. What are you going to do? Right. And, and sometimes as a leader, that is the, in fact, that is after you've given all the information, that is the only thing you can do as a leader, because now it's up to them to follow or not. You've led them, you've given them the information. And that's why human interaction and leadership is so hard. We can't make anybody do, especially adults. We can't make them do anything. We can't make decisions for them. We can't really persuade them. We give them the information that we have so they can make the best decision for themselves. You know, and in that moment, that 10 steps piece of knowledge that I had, that shrink the bubble nugget was what was going to be helpful. But ultimately me standing there trying to give her more nuggets was just making the situation worse. And uh, so that was a, a tough quote unquote. It wasn't a leadership moment. It wasn't a, a persuasion moment. That was where I had to stop and let her make her own decision. And it was a leadership moment because it took leadership to do that. And I will tell you from personal conversation, 
the shrinking the bubble conversation, the 10-step conversation helped tremendously, right? Um, I, and I don't remember, there, there might've come a time where like the 10 steps, it's like, you know, you're, you're in your 10 millionth set of 10 steps and you're like, oh, we're not there yet, right? What's going on? And at some point she just went, I'm making this really hard on myself and, and, and stopped, right? So, but the 10 step methodology, I got her to at least that point where she could, mm -hmm. where she could say, yeah, you know what? Enough's enough. I'm, I'm making this really not fun. Well, and, and it comes from the overthinking. Um, it, it, and I realized that somebody asked me, you know, what were you thinking on the way up? Because we started that hike actually at 11 o'clock at night. We started the summit attempt. We didn't get to the top till like 8.30 or 9 a.m. It took us nine to 10 hours to go four miles. <laughs> if that tells you how slow we were going, which is important at that altitude, it's important at that fatigue level, blah, blah, blah. It was the perfect thing. But it took a really long time. And somebody was like, well, what were you thinking about? What was your mind? And I was like, you know what? I wasn't. I wasn't thinking. I just thought to myself, this is what I'm doing now until I get to the top. And it's go, it goes back to that 10,000th, 10-step you know, process of you know, sometimes you decide, I'm going to the top. This is what I'm doing. And this is what I need to do now to get there. And the more we think about it and try to intellectualize it, the more we get in our way. And so as we think about persuading ourselves and staying motivated, it's what Mark LeBlanc says, put it in second gear and just cruise. This is what I'm doing right now until I get to that top. I'm curious, um, that single-minded focus that you had, which which I'm guessing was both paradoxically a single-minded focus I'm getting to the top and a lack of focus. In other words, I'm not thinking about getting to the top. I'm just, right, I'm totally in my body and just one step, one step, one step mm -hmm. without saying mm -hmm. I'm making it to the top, right? It's not, I think I can, I think I can. It's not the I little train that could, <laughs> right? It's not the little train I could. It's just disengaging the brain, engaging the feet and being totally focused on one step, one step, not even focused on making it to the top, just one step, one step with this sort of knowing that when you get to the top, there won't be any more steps to take until you start down right. again. And once I could see the top, it was, I think I can. But, you know, from in the dark, from 11 p.m. till 6 a.m., 6 or 7 a.m., it was just, and you know what I was doing? I was drawing the alphabet with my hiking pole in the snow next to the trail. Every 10 or 15 steps, I would make a letter. So you had to engage your mind. Some, this is really interesting to me, right? You had to engage your mind somehow, just not on the task at hand. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's. And that's none of us were really in the, because like the rest of the time we had these get to know you questions and we'd get into these big discussions. But, you know, at that point on summit day, we weren't really in a chatty mood. So I kind of had to entertain myself. But yeah, taking your mind off of it. So you're not thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. So the question I had um started to ask and, and never really got out though. So that single-minded focus, do you see that coming into play in the future, right? That experience drawing on that and using it. Yeah, as I think about the tasks that I don't like to do, sending my outreach emails, um 
what I've decided and the way to apply that in that productivity moment where I go, I don't wanna, they might reject me. I'm gonna just do it. I'm gonna say, and don't think about it. Here's your template, fill it in and just get in touch with them, do it, send it, boom. Don't think too hard. Um, because again, so often that over-intellectualization gets in the way. Yeah, we need to be strategic. We need to say intelligent things, but man, do we overthink it. Oh, I do anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, I really like that because what that tells me is, right, the time for thinking is in the preparation, right? I'm crafting this outreach letter. Now it's now I'm not overthinking. I'm, cre I'm, I'm in that creation process. Now it's done. Now, disengage your brain, disengage from the outcome, which is the other thing, right? When you're hiking up, you can't be thinking about making it to the summit because it's you can't see it, literally can't see it. So just I'm just walking. I'm just walking. Just follow the person in front of me and see what happens. Right. And if we make it, we make it. We don't make it, we don't make it. And eventually you make it. And yes, it feels good, but it's not your singularity of focus. So the same sort of approach here, I, I prep for it, I craft it, I'm in creation, but now it's it's go time. Send the email, I don't care. Send the email, I don't, and when I say I don't care, I mean, I don't care about the outcome. I don't care if they don't respond. Send the email, send the email. And, and that really speaks to me. I mean, as you know, I've done a S ton of cold calling outreach in, in, in my career, both as a speaker and before that. And I recently outsourced part of my outreach just because I was so burned out on the lack of response. You know, I'm like, I, I got to let somebody else do this for a while. I can't do it, you know? And, you know, so wasn't as detached from the outcome as I could have been. Right. And it was a lot easier though, for you to let go of it because you had done the prep, you had done the, you know, you've done that intellectualization part. Now you're on the execution and you said, you know what, let me go ahead and let somebody else do this part. Yeah. You know, and I love that you've connected that strategic prep with the execution because you're right. You know, there was a lot of time here in the U.S. where I was thinking, where I was training, where I was planning, what am I going to eat? When am I going to drink? How am I going to, you know, have it easily accessible to me? All these things same thing with us as speakers. We prep, we rehearse, we decide how we're going to move. When does our slides advance? Blah, 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 blah. So that when we get up there, we can just execute. We can be in the room, be in the moment and do the thing. So I had done all that prep leading up to being in Tanzania. Once I got to the mountain, it's like, you're ready. Just do the thing. And it's the same thing with that outreach and other tasks we don't want to do. And in business in general, you, you know, you're starting something new. I've always found, and you know, this is, I won't say unique to me, but not everybody works this way. There are plenty who do where, you know, I'm going to start a new um, uh, 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 program of some sort and I do it first. I want to know how to, how to get it done, even if it's not the best way, because, you know, I, I may or may not be the smartest guy in the room, right? I, I accept that, but I'm the first one to do it and at least to create a baseline and like, okay, I know it can be done. I know here's a way to get it done. And then I can release that and turn that over to somebody, right? It's a similar type thing. It's like, do you do the strategic work? Okay, I know this is doable. Now I'll give it to somebody else. Maybe they do it better. Hopefully they they improve on what I did. That, that actually is a win to me. You know, it's like, wow, you know, I got it to this point. It was good enough. And you're actually taking it to the next level. 
woohoo, because I didn't have to do that, right? But right. it's a similar type of mindset. And I think as um, leaders in the persuasion arena, especially when our team sees us put the kind of work in upfront and then release the outcome and trust in them, that's huge. The empowerment is massive and the motivation is massive because you're, again, trusting them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And at the same time, you got to make sure you're walking up the hill. Mm-hmm. Right. That you're continuing to move forward. Yeah. That, that you didn't start going downhill. Because, you know, the interesting thing about our friend is she could, she would have had to keep walking no matter what. <laughs> That's one of the things I thought of as I walked away from her. I'm like, she's not going to turn around. She'd have to walk for three hours to get to the bottom. <laughs> right. And at some point you're like, uh, really? I mean, it, it's it's kind of the reverse sunk cost approach, right? I've gone, th- instead of saying, look, I can't think about my sunk cost. I need to get out of this thing. In this case, it's like, I got, you know, I got six hours and, and how many thousand feet elevation gain in that time period? In that day, we gained 4,300 right. something. So I've gone 3,000 feet. You know, the sunk cost would be... Forget about the 3,000 feet. I can't make another 1,000 feet, right? But in this case, it's sort of like I've gone 3,000 feet. I'm going to go 3,000 feet back. I may as well go another 1,000 feet up and then 4,000 feet back. It's not that much farther. I am curious, the walk down, how much easier was that? Dave, I don't know whether I thought there was a magical gondola that was going to show up or a ferry was going to fly in and carry me down. I only planned up until the top. The trip down was the worst part. Was it really? OMG, Dave. And and, you know, I don't know whether it was the elevation or just that I hadn't thought of it. Like literally people were, you know, Leanne, one of the people that I went with would mention it or other people would mention it. And I'd be like, it doesn't matter. I just got to get to the top. Just got to get to the top. Just get to the top. Just get to the top. And boy, oh boy, was I pissed when I realized I now had four miles to get back to Kibo Hut and then another seven to get to where I was sleeping that night. The rest of that day was rough. So you didn't spend the night after summit at Kibo Hut? No, we had to go down to the 12,000 foot um, huts, which was... Yeah, that's where I was mentally taxed. There was never a moment where I said, I can't do this. But boy, was I pissed (laughs) and exhausted. I remember at one point, halfway to the Harumbo hut, which was where we finally slept that night, I stopped to wait for our guide and the other person that was walking with me. And my legs were like shaking um, because not only had we gone up, but on the way down, on the super, super steep part that was probably two or three miles it was so loose and it was that you were practically skiing in your boots down so the amount of core strength and the amount of leg stability that you're using as you're like skiing down this hill through the loose dirt good lord it was oh man it was tough and then we got to Kibo Hut packed up our stuff took like a 20 minute nap and then had to keep going keep going well, waking up from that 20 minute nap must have sucked. Oh, God. But uh, honestly, this explains because, you know, uh, going back to Everest, the, the deaths occur on the way down. Right. 
That's right. And and it's so funny because you know, I've done a lot of endurance events. I know what I need to do to keep my body and my mind functioning at a healthy level. You make sure you hydrate, you make sure you eat. And once we got to the top, my entire intelligence went out the window. I stopped drinking. I stopped eating. I didn't put on, we didn't put on sunscreen, which was really stupid because that's really close to the sun. And um, yeah, dude, I paid for that in that last 11 miles. It was nuts. So Which that's another actually, lesson. I was about to say, we have another lesson here about taking things to completion. Ding, but, number three. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And it's, it's as you're thinking about goals, think all the way through it and then make sure that you've got that plan to get you all the way to the finish line. Because sometimes the ultimate, the, 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 the like glorious part isn't the end. Well, and, you know, this is a great thing as far as project management of doing the debrief and doing the after action, which we've talked about a lot as well. Yeah, no, it's it, it, it's so true. It's like, you know, in construction in years, right? You think, OK, we finished the project, meaning we nailed the last nail or, you know, whatever, whatever part of it is. You still have to clean up afterwards. You still have to. And, you know, it's one of the things in the service side of construction industry. It's like people think, oh, I finished you know, whatever it is. And it's like, no, you're not done because you haven't done the paperwork, right? So you're still on the clock and the customer still has to pay for that. And and, and we need to communicate that. And right, that's part of it too. Um, there's also probably a lesson in negative unintended consequences because the unintended consequence or unlooked for consequence, unperceived consequence of summiting is you had to go back down. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I mean, really, that's exactly I didn't think about that. Now I'm here. What the heck do I do? Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and how many times we strategic plan things and we don't think about what do we do now? Okay, mm -hmm. We achieved our goal. Now what? Um, yeah. Now I'm at the top of a mountain and nobody there. Where's the helicopter? I'm ready to go down now. Yeah. Well, it's funny. This So uh, and, and what the story I'm about to tell is. um it's a true story, and it's also apocryphal for business failures, right? Which is overgrowth. Years ago in San Diego, there was a company called Home Grocers, and it was a grocery delivery service. They didn't have; it wasn't a supermarket-based one, right? So they had a fulfillment center in Sereno Mesa, and we were early adopters, part of their early adopter strategy. And they had a two-hour window on-time delivery guarantee. They had a, a, a um, inventory management system so they could predict accurately what would be in stock on the day of your delivery so and it was working great i mean it was it was fantastic we would probably use that service for a year when they went okay we're ready for prime time and they unleashed a massive ad campaign this was probably summer of 2000 ish i don't remember exact date i could hear their theme song on the radio and all of a sudden, deliveries were late. And of course, their guarantee was like it was free or a huge discount and all this other stuff. And they quickly went out of business because the service was used so much and failed so often because of the massive uh, volume that they weren't planning on, right? So they summited. They hit this peak, this amazing peak of sales and never knew how to get down the other side. Mm. And that's such a common story of growth. You know, where where 
okay, we're ready to pull the trigger on making this thing bigger. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh crap, we can't handle. I remember that at Under Armour. We went through about a year when I worked in the, uh, you know, in the retail fulfillment uh, mail order section for lack of a better word. And uh, we went through such a long period of back orders and all that stuff um, where we couldn't fulfill the inventory that was being demanded in that moment. Right. And I mean, the only, and the saving grace for Under Armour, of course, and I could be mistaken about this, but my impression is those early days in terms of uh, athletic wear that, you know, was wicking and did the things that Under Armour did, you were the first, there wasn't a lot of competition. So people who liked the product were put up with it. Whereas right. in home grocers, it was like, F this, I'm going back to the grocery store. Right. Where I, where, yeah. I, where if they don't have what I want, I make the decision about what I'm going to, whether I'm going to replace it or not, or, or whatever that yeah. might look like. And, and um, obviously that, that model has changed a lot with, with uh, modern day, but that's how it started out. Um, yeah. And, and in fact, right now, I think it's AWS has a commercial, right? Where it's the, the entrepreneurs going like, we're live. And then it's like, ding, we got our first order. And then ding, yay, we got our second order. And they're all cheering. And then it was like, ding, 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 ding. Oh no, how are we gonna fulfill this? Right. There's that commercial out right now. And, and it's a commercial for AWS and scalability and all, all, all the rest of it. So um yeah, yeah. But again, this that's, is but that's such an interesting lesson as you think about huge goals and where you're trying to reach. Make sure you're thinking about the other side, you know, and the way down, as it were. Um, yeah, thinking it through. Yeah. So speaking of the way down, we're probably at the end of our 30 minutes-ish around now. Maybe I've gone a little longer. That's okay, folks. That's the beauty about not having a time slot. We're, we're not up against another show. So um, <laughs> maybe we'll talk about Kilia if there's more lessons that come up next week. If not, who knows? We'll be surprised because we haven't thought about our way out of this. <laughs> How the heck are we going to get out of this, Dave? Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. See you next week. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. This is Dave Rosenberg, and you can find my website at LockedOnLeadership.com. And this is Ann Bonnie at YourChangeSpeaker.com. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you failed to disarm them. Yeah.